The content of this podcast should not be considered financial or investment advice. All interviews and discussions are opinions only, and the podcast has been created without taking into consideration the listener's financial objectives, financial situation, or needs. Listeners should obtain independent advice before making any financial decision. Hi, everyone, and welcome to this edition of Stock Doc. I'm your host, Dr. Nigel Finch. And joining me from Auckland is Adrian Grant. Adrian's the CEO of ASX-listed fintech, Nine Spokes, under the ASX ticker code 9SP. Now, since last speaking with Adrian, Nine Spokes have announced a five-year global partnership with Visa, and their share prices responded nicely, adding about another 50%. So I think it's time to catch up with Adrian to understand what's been happening and where Nine Spokes is heading to from here. Adrian, welcome back to the program. Morning, Nigel. Thanks very much for having me. Now, before we unpack the recent announcement with Visa, can you just, well, let's go back to basics. Can you start off by explaining what problem Nine Spokes solves and, uh, and the reason it was founded? Sure. Look, we know that globally, the SMB sector is the backbone of almost every economy, in fact, every economy globally, although I suspect it's taken something like covid um, for people to really understand the role that they play at an employment level. But if you if you look back at when we started the business, it was really evident that as the market or the technology market moved from desktop apps to cloud-based apps, um, all essentially performing quite a distinct task, it was obvious that the multiple apps, um, that with multiple apps, the ability to get a single view on a business was almost next to impossible was because there was no natural connector to bring it all together. And that's actually what drove the purpose um, for us to establish the business so that we were able to aggregate data across all the apps that a business might use, giving the user you know, a single pane of glass view, if you like, on, the, on, on their performance. And that's actually why we started the company in the first place. And Adrian, last time we spoke, uh, we talked about the benefits of collaboration with financial services providers. And can you please talk about why you've chosen banks as your primary go-to-market strategy and what these relationships can give you? Look, the reason we went down the route of partnering with banks was really based on clear evidence of the relationship between you know, SMB businesses succeeding, i.e. those that had access to capital and those who often failed because they couldn't, conversely, couldn't get access to capital. And it seemed to us that businesses needed to have a much closer closer relationship with their providers of capital. And likewise, banks who have not traditionally been strong on providing cash flow lending, likewise needed to have better access to information from their clients to see how they're actually trading on a live basis. To that extent, we match businesses and banks at a data level, which you know we hope leads to a much, much stronger credit outcome to all parties. So from Nine Spokes, it's, it really gives us a very strong empathetic partnership between banks and businesses within a frame, what I'd call a, a very strong framework of trust. So I ultimately think we have a really good vision and a good alignment with our bank partners. Um, and for us, it really drives our distribution. Adrian, the fintech space has attracted uh, a lot of investor attention over recent years. Who do you see as the competitors for Nine Spokes? Look, I think more recently, you've seen a number of fintech companies entering the space, kind of the space that we're performing. And I actually think that's a really good thing. 
it's quite hard to be or for people to see a market in a segment if there's only one provider. And I actually think for much of our existence, that's been the case. People haven't known other players in the market. So they haven't been able to benchmark or pair us, if you like. Um, but actually, if you look at the number one competitor that we face on the sales pitches that we un- we take, it's actually the IT shops within the banks itself. They are our number one competitor where the bank um, believes they can and should be able to do this and could be able to do this. From our perspective, we think there are good reasons why they wouldn't want to do that. And that's why we promote you know, speed to market and more agility and um, better throughput so they can focus on their core banking. Um, but that's they are our biggest competitor. There's no doubt about that. Mm. Well, last week you announced uh, this contract with Visa. Um, Can you tell us a bit about the contract? And I'm really interested to understand how long did it take to do a deal with a company the size of Visa? It it took um, it actually took well over a year to negotiate, and it was excruciating. I can I can say that for everybody in our team, but. COVID didn't exactly help that towards the end, but I think we're really fortunate that we'd already built up good personal relationships prior to lockdown with with the key stakeholders at Visa that we had to work with. In terms of the agreement that we signed, I think if you look at partnerships, there's normally two types of partnerships that people commonly enter enter into. And I think the more more common is probably a referral agreement, which essentially... um, the contracting party refer, would refer a contract to nine spokes and we'd simply contract and enter into that relationship. The second option, which is generally the harder one, is a reseller partnership. Um, and that's essentially what we've agreed with Visa, where we contract with Visa, who in turn sell our solution to their financial, financial institutions, and they invoice on their paper. Um, so that's quite a departure for us, and it also means that it was much more complex for us to work our way through. In terms of what we've signed, it's a five-year agreement, so it's got long legs, if you like, for us to do some pretty exciting things. So how involved was Visa's due diligence on Nine Spokes, and um, and does and how does this agreement validate your technology, your people, your processes? You know, at the end of the day, we're probably the most mismatched um, two parties you could ever find in terms of the 800-pound gorilla and where the ant ant on the back of an elephant is probably a better analogy. You know, they're a massive global company, and for them, brand protection is paramount. They will never want to contract or engage with a two-bit company that can talk a good game that can't deliver. So for them, the DD process, you know, exhausting for us, um, on a small number of people, but it would cover everything that you'd expect from technical capability, security protocols, operational processes, financial control, governance, product validation. Validation, In other words, every single thing that we do, they needed to analyse. Um, and it's cre- incredibly hard on a very small team of people, and it forces a little company to grow up very quickly. And I'm incredibly proud that we've been able to stand up onto that, secu- that scrutiny, if you like, um, I think the second part, what does it mean? I think it validates everything that we're doing, that a little company is able to partner with credibility and respect with one of the largest companies in the world, that the things that we're doing, we say, you know, we do what we say we're going to do. So it's, I think it's incredible validation for us. Yeah. And just remind me again, how, how big is Visa? What's the size of their addressable market and, and, and the like? 
Look, the relationship that we have with them is focused on those banks with whom Visa has an issuing relationship, in other words, a credit card relationship. So globally, I think they publish something like 15,000 global financial institutions they have relationships with. They operate in over 200 countries. Um, For us, um, we're actually probably limited by our capability to the scale. So we're launching, which is still pretty daunting for us, in something like 50 countries around the world in regions, Europe, Southeast Asia, North America. So the immediate addressable market for us is, is, is a game changer. And I think there's going to be um, you know, a, a, a lot of opportunity for us. And there's going to be some exciting things as we launch a full multilingual site and sites around the world. Um, so for us, it's a game changer in terms of the addressable market. And does this lock you into only working with Visa? I mean, is this it? You've got the reseller agreement with Visa, so tools down or what? what where to from here? Look, we have a five-year exclusive agreement on the basis of achieving revenue milestones, but there's, I think there's a couple of important distinctions. Um, firstly, the exclusivity only applies to nine spokes forming a relationship with another payment service provider like a visa. Um, and secondly, it doesn't stop us from ingesting data and presenting it on our platform from any party of any ilk globally. That's, that's quite important for us. In terms of partnering with other sellers, if you like, or partners, I, we think it's pretty important that we preserve our independence and don't have exclusivity in that regard. Um, so we think that there are other parties out there who have some very specific advantages that we think will be useful to our overall ecosystem. So I would I would look in the next couple of months to us closing a couple of relationships that we think will be relevant in that regard. So we were we were quite clear. We're very happy with the partnership with Visa, but I don't think it's helpful for any company to lock themselves in exclusively where they can't sell directly or through other partners where it makes sense to do so. And looking through the release, there's uh, this talk about a joint development effort. Um, That's not familiar to me or maybe to some of the readers. So can you explain what this means? Yeah, I mean, as part of the agreement, Visa are contributing a development fund um, that can be used to progress either Visa interests on our platform or specifically enhance the overall platform. So that would mean how do we represent, how do we integrate our product into Visa? How do we integrate from our product to issuing banks and to the SMEs? So Visa, you know, quite clearly want our platform to, to advance quickly. Um, so I think we're going to do some pretty interesting things from a, from a data perspective between Visa um, and our and our um, SMB clients. I'd, so for Visa, I'd say it's them putting their money where their mouth is. You know, they want to see the platform evolve rapidly, and they're prepared to help with that. It's a it's a pretty key part of the agreement, and something we're excited about working with them on. Mm. Well, certainly, if they're putting money into it, um, they've got some expectations of some reward at the end. So, what confidence do you have that any of the revenue targets to the contract are achievable and What's the basis for your confidence? Look, I think the targets that have been put in place, which we're not clearly going to publish, but they were the result of you know some pretty extensive DD. They know their market, they know their client, they know the sector we're playing in. You know, they're pretty confident in being able to achieve targets, and I don't think they would go to the effort they have over a year to negotiate a contract if they didn't think the targets were both sensible and achievable. You know, that's the opportunity for nine spokes, right? The target's material. We tend to meet them. It's a pretty big carrot for nine spokes. Yeah. So when do you expect to see 
first revenue from the partnership coming through? Look, over the period we negotiated the contract, a lot of work was done in the background to productize every part of our solution. And that's probably one of the good things that um, Visa have forced on us. We don't want to be doing bespoke work as much as, you know, if we can help it. We want a, a solid product that rolls off the shelves. So we've used a lot of the time in negotiating the contract to be essentially to be match fit and ready to get out of the gates. So now the contract's signed. We've already started training the training their teams. We're not wasting time. Um, in terms of revenue, we're a reasonably complex sale, so that will take some time for the teams to get up. But I think I would say the latter part of this year, we'd hope to start seeing some um, some fruits of the work, but the teams are actually working right now. Um, so I think overall it'll be a, not I wouldn't say a slow burn, it'll be a fast burn for Nine Spokes, but a slow burn for Visa as we start to ramp up knowledge of our partnership. That doesn't happen overnight within their business, but... I'm pretty confident that we'll start seeing some results in the latter part of this year. Yeah. Well, look, I, I want to talk about some of the other uh, contracts and aspects of your business, but just finally on Visa, um, just summarise what you think the next steps are in relation to the Visa contract and what in, uh, investors will expect to see. I think it's pretty simple, Nigel. Let's get selling and start onboarding new bank customers You know, as quickly as we can. I think we're all very motivated to do so. Yeah. Well, look, one of the things that grabs my attention, Adrian, is uh, you know you, you're an, you're an Auckland-based fintech, but you've managed to partner with, if I've got this right, the second largest, the tenth largest, and the twenty-eighth largest companies on the planet. Like seriously, what what what's going on there? I mean, is this is it a big ad in the yellow pages? How are you getting the attention of all of this? I think I think that's actually a really good question. I think part of it, to be honest, is dreaming. You know, we set down um, some plans about 18 months ago about what we wanted to accomplish and things that we needed to change and making sure that we, we didn't have a US presence. We thought it was really important that we, to gain credibility globally, we felt that we needed to have strong presence in the US. And we set about, we wanted a large bank. We wanted, a, we wanted Microsoft and we wanted to change our distribution. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it, it was a dream to some extent, but I'd say... Ultimately, there's a lot of very hard work from a team of people that are incredibly committed to the cause, often at really unsociable hours. Now, I leave the office at night or talk to people in the COVID world when we're not in the office, and I'm often astounded by the number of late night calls or meetings or early morning meetings that are taking place right across the business from people that I don't even know they're doing. Mm. And I think that talks to the commitment of the people. And I'd also add the board of directors. You know, we have a fantastic team of directors many of who have, you know, quite large corp experience. And I think, you know, pesky little startups are not always easy. So we're really grateful to them staying the course and actively helping us at every level of the business. I think we're, I think we're incredibly lucky. Yeah. Other than that, to answer the question, I'd say there's no silver bullet. I think there's, to my views, is there's lots of lead bullets. You know, we have a good plan, a vision, lots of flying time, which we clearly can't do now, but good innovation. And I'd say above all, um, persistence. I think that carries you a long way with um, these sorts of companies. And it's true to say, five years ago, they may not have been that interested in, in engaging with small companies of our size for a lot of very good reasons, but the market's changed you know, massively in that time. And I think companies are pretty happy to engage or look to engage with smaller companies. And that applies to the three that we've certainly partnered with. Yeah. Well, look, let's talk about uh, one of those now, and that's Bank of America. Can you update us uh, very briefly on this contract and how it's coming along? 
Yeah, I mean, Bank of America launched. We were really delighted to win that contract, you know, given their size and scale and, you know, the millions of SME customers that they have. Um, we launched into their program called BA360 in about mid-February this year. And it was slowly rolled out across um, all these states during the previous three months. In February, marketing programs were started that encouraged BA360 users. And I think they have something, they have in excess of a million customers who have connected their cash flow tools um, since it's been live for about 12 months. So we entered with connections into QuickBooks General Ledger. And um, I think it was ADP at a payroll tool. So the launch ran directly into COVID, and that's not necessarily been helpful, has it? You know, particularly as most SMBs in the US have been focused, and the banks actually have been focused on the rapid deployment of PPP loan programs that the US government put in place. So given this, the, I think the bank actually would say they've got a really solid uptake um, in early days, but I think they're seeking, as we are, you know, a rapid increase once companies start coming out of, a, out of COVID and can demonstrate the value of the platform, if you like, in a post-COVID world. Mm, yeah. And so just uh, next steps in relation to the Bank of America contract, what, uh, what, what are we expecting to see from that? Um, look, I think we continue. Well, we're continuing to work with them to add different, you know, different enhancements to the platform. Um, they've recently installed an offer tile, and soon we'll be installing notifications, alerts, a strong mobile presence, um, and marketplace additions. There's another group of apps that, are, you know, the Bank of America position has been to very slowly curate and add apps to their platform. There's more of those coming in the next few months. Um, so I think lots of lots of additional functionality and app partnerships will be going into that platform over the next few months. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, I think the biggest one you partnered with is Microsoft. Um, why did they choose to partner with you? I mean, what brought that about? You know, I think Microsoft have a massive partner ecosystem globally, and they partner with all sorts of business. So there's certainly nothing unique in that regard and partnering with us. But I think it's probably what's more unusual is the breadth of the partnership. We actually started with migrating our infrastructure across to Azure, their their cloud-based hosting platform. So we made that decision about 18 months ago, and that's been a a really good decision in terms of cost, the service catalogue have. But actually, really importantly, it's been about the distribution of their data centers globally and with so much focus on data sovereignty by both banks and by regulators, that's been a really important decision for us. And we we need to be able to have our hosting as close as possible to the customers. And if you look at their global footprint of data centers, um, as far as I'm aware, it's the largest um, distribution of, of data centers around the world. So that's really, really important to us. As part of that relationship, they also have a co- we also have a co-sell agreement. And that fundamentally means that they assist us to sell our solution to financial institutions around the world. And that's really useful for two reasons. One, in terms of the context and the relationships they have. Um, but actually, it's probably more important in terms of giving credibility and comfort to the banks that our systems and processes and hosting are all bank grade. You know, it's all very well to select a little company, but actually they want to know that everything we're doing is robust and secure. And it's, that's a really big part of our story. Yeah. Fin- finally, the last part um, is actually we're about to start selling Microsoft products on our platform like Office 365 through our through our um through our marketplace. So we're pretty excited about getting that underway. But fundamentally, it's a really strong, multifaceted relationship. And is there synergy with the Microsoft relationship and the Visa relationship? 
Yeah, I think so. I mean, they're both large partners um, in their own right, but every time um, we sell a bank, um, it's going to be hosted on Microsoft Azure, so there will certainly be increased spend. Um, so they're pretty motivated to assist us as they build out their um, their banking presence globally. Um, I think over time, it's going to be interesting how we evolve the platform, particularly around you know AI machine learning tools um, that can be put to good use both through our platform for for Visa, so I'm excited by where that will run over time. I think there's a lot of opportunity there for us, but there's yeah. no question Microsoft Visa and us there's a there's a good opportunity to do some things. Yeah, and I mean that's not the extent of the relationships with the banks. I mean you've still got relationships with BNZ, OCBC, and the like. Are you still going to pursue banking opportunities directly, or is it mostly reliant on Visa for distribution going forward? I think my view is that it'd be pretty foolish for anybody to rely on a single sale, um, single sale process. Look, we're we're going to run very, very hard at um, uh, at partnering with Visa, but I think there are instances where there will be companies that actually add some value strategically. So, you know, running very hard with Visa will continue to sell directly and will continue to partner where it makes sense. Um, so, no, I, I think we've got to have a you know a, a multiple. Tax on multiple fronts is probably how I would put it. Yeah, and I guess one of those fronts, uh, ninespokes.com, can you just talk to us briefly about um, how this channel fits in with your expansion plans? Ninespokes.com is our own direct-to-market channel, and we think it's pretty important for a number of reasons that we keep building our own brand um, to give SMEs an alternative route that's not just through the banks that they, they know about, hear about, and engage with our platform. So we think that's important that we continue to do that. But at the same time, as part of our relationship with Visa is that they will be selling through banks direct access into ninespokes.com. Mm. And I think that's part of a you know a strong omni-channel strategy, but also really applicable to smaller, I guess, community-type banks where they wouldn't go for a white-label solution. So I think it gives us really good optionality of different routes into the platform so we can demonstrate value. Okay. Well, look, we've covered a lot of ground. Can we just backtrack for a sec? Can I get you to summarise your current pathways to market and perhaps the importance of each of these channels? There's two really simple pathways, direct through ninespokes.com and then through partnerships like Visa that we've just announced with support from companies like Microsoft. You know, for us, it's about having multiple fronts on how we ultimately get to our primary market, which is the people, you know, we're there to serve, which is SMBs. So I think both of them are equally as important. They just have different layers of empathy. There's a very, as I say, there's a very strong relationship between money and business success. And we, we, you know, we certainly want to continue working and work very deeply with the banks we have and new banks through Visa. Um, I think from our, from our perspective, it's really about building that broad-based ecosystem that have, has as many SMEs, as many app partners, and as many banks on the platform. And as you do that and drive that kind of network effect, I think that's where value starts get, getting demonstrated. So um, that's, that's the two, two approaches, Nigel. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I guess um, one of the things that happened more recently is um, that uh, you went into a, a trading halt while you uh, resolved an issue with ASX compliance. Can you just explain what that was all about? I mean, it's um, it's been done and dusted, but uh, I just wouldn't mind covering off on that. It was really about, the, the issue itself was really about the opinion issued by the auditor. And I think 
we will probably come back um, at our AGM in a month or two's time and actually cover that off because I know people are going to be interested in what happened there. The only thing I can say at this point is that as a board and a company, we're really comfortable um, with the processes that we went through with our financial reporting. So it's not a, this is not an operational issue. It was a lens issue. But we, I think we'll come back in a month's time and once the once um, I guess things have calmed down a little bit, we'll we'll explain what happened and what our view of that one of that particular issue is. But clearly frustrating. Well, yeah, frustrating for you, but uh, I don't think the market was too concerned because since trading, your trading volumes have been huge with uh, quite a fair amount of price volatility. Look, at first glance, you'd look at um, nine spokes and think it's just a trading stock. I mean, do you agree it's a trading stock and do you have an opinion about the increased investor attention? My first, my first career was actually share broking, which I did for a number of years. So I'm, I'm a pretty keen observer on what happens on our stock on a on a daily basis. So do I think there's a trading element? No question. You can't pass, you know, 450 odd million shares on a day on 1.2 billion shares for the for there not to be a trading element. And any you know any casual read of any blog will tell you that. But I think underlying you know, that stat, I'd say 70% of our register is very strong and, it's, and has actually very limited movement to it. So anyone would say, I think liquidity and obviously investor attention is always a good thing, right? That's 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 what everyone wants to see. I suppose at a personal level, I'd probably like to see a higher level of scrutiny as to what our, actually, what our company's actual story is, as opposed to people focusing on, you know, a 10% price movement, which while I appreciate is a good thing for people and lends itself to um, stock trading, I don't think actually is particularly helpful for the company. That's my personal view. You know, my view is that traders, you know, if you came in at the bottom this year, you'd be up 300% this year, which is fantastic. But I actually don't think we've started. And I actually think people would see a much greater return if they were a little bit more focused on the story um, and actually held the stock for for longer periods of time. I think part of that is actually our getting the story out. And part of it, I'd have to say, we struggle to tell the full story. You know, our counterparty is always a very large corporation and they quite rightly want to own the story themselves. And so at times we're restrained in terms of what we can actually say. And that's probably one of the hard things as a company that we um, sometimes suffer from. There's a fantastic story. We can't get it out. So people are left with a slight vacuum. Um, but that's our problem to solve, and that's something that we're working on. But as I say, um, liquidity is a good thing. Um, sentiment on the stock's a good thing. I just say focus on the story and not the not the movement every day. Yeah. And uh, Adrian, what can shareholders look forward to over the next 12 months? Yeah, look, I think 18 months ago, we laid down the foundations of what we needed to put in place. We moved to Azure, we rebuilt the platform to what we called V2. Um, we filled in some of the product gaps or holes in our product, especially around automated marketing, a program we called Nine Spokes Engage. And obviously, we've changed our distribution model, um, you know, hence the visa announcement. So, you know, a massive amount's taken place, and I don't think any discerning observer could fail to notice the progress in the partnerships that have been put in place and the things that we've delivered. But I think now that they're in place, you know, the big boulders are in place is probably how I would put it. I think shareholders should be able to look forward to just con consistent, continuous progress and improvement over the next few months in terms of our go-to-market right across our business. And I'm pretty confident based on the things that we've done that that's what shareholders will see over the next few, over the next 12 months. 
Well, thank you to my guest, Adrian Grant, CEO of Nine Spokes, for joining us for this edition of Stock Doc. And you can stay in touch with us through our Stockhead website. And if you haven't already done so, remember to subscribe to our twice daily newsletter for ASX market coverage, company profiles, and industry insights.